Live from Pacific Junction Hotel, Girth Radio in session. My name is Amrita Gurney, and I am an East Coaster, now living in Toronto, and I work as the head of marketing at a company called Crowdriff here in Toronto. Where in the East Coast are you from? I'm from Newfoundland originally. Newfoundland? Yeah. Am yeah. I saying that correctly? Newfoundland? Newfoundland. Newfoundland. Yeah. Or like originally? O- originally. Yeah. Well, I mean, originally from India. Okay. But I'm uh, guessing your parents, grandparents. My parents moved over and I grew up there. And it's when I think about home, that's still the first place that comes to mind. Do you know why they moved there? Just life opportunities. Really? Yeah. They doctors? Yeah. They, uh, they're, they're working at, they were working at the university. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That is really, really cool. Um, So we traveled out east. So I've been to Halifax Mm -hmm. for work, Um, but we traveled out to the Gaspé. Okay. Yeah. This this summer. So I mean, we're just back a a week. No, we're just back two weeks now. Okay. uh, From that trip, almost two weeks. Uh, Beautiful out there. It is gorgeous. Yeah, just off the St. Lawrence. It's, uh, I mean, Newfoundland is even more rustic and sort of you know rocky and barren but Mm -hmm. there's something about it that i guess i just love because it's in my blood now and i'm so used to being by the water and uh just having all that fresh air and space and the people are very special as well do you go back there often I do. I have a house. My husband and I have a house in Grossmore National Park. So we do try to get there in a park and we try to get there as often as we can. Not as much lately as I'd like, but uh, yeah, it's still... Like a few times a year you go there? We had been going a few times a year. Now it's slowed down to more like once a year Mm -hmm. um, just because we're doing some work on the the cabin and trying to figure out long term what we do. So we've... it's been a little harder to get there as often as we'd like. Do you rent it out, like Airbnb it or anything like that? We had, yeah. Now we're thinking about just uh, doing oh. a complete rebuild. So Okay. Uh, yeah. Because I was going to check it out and maybe, <laughs> yeah, and maybe go know. there. <laughs> I think the only people living in there right now are some uh, some little critters. <laughs> oh, no. Okay. So that's why it needs to be cleaned exactly, up Exactly, yeah. It's not really good for humans anymore. Oh, my goodness. That rustic. Yes, it okay. is. Yeah, yeah. It's right by the water. We have a beautiful view of the St. Lawrence River. And oh. uh, it's great. But yeah, it needs some TLC. Wow. Yeah. So what, what brought you to, to Toronto? Or were there like stops along the way? There are lots of stops along the way. I actually uh, left Newfoundland, went to university in London, Ontario, then mm-hmm. moved to Boston, where I spent about 10 years. And uh, also worked in Europe for three years. So I've kind of traveled around a lot, lived in lots of places. And then about 10 years ago, decided I was ready to come back to Canada. And Toronto felt like the right place for someone working in the software industry. Ah, interesting. So London, that's Western? Western, yeah. Okay. Uh, What did you study? I studied something I shouldn't have. Oh, (laughs) marketing. No, no, I studied okay. economics, which if anyone knows me, it's like, really? I don't even know why I studied that. Yeah, I do know why I did. It was such a bad idea. Was it parental pressure? Yeah, just parents probably didn't really know any better. I knew I wanted to go into business and they had me talk to somebody and that somebody said, oh, you should study economics. So I, I said, okay. 
And uh, anyone who knows me knows I'm a very creative person. I definitely should have studied like languages or design or some other field, but I ended up taking the very long route to getting back into a really creative career. But do you do you still have like a fascination with with economics and and and, and money and decisions and things like that and not, politics? Or? Not really. No? I I mean I like money, but. <laughs> <laughs> But I can't say I have a fascination with it. I think it's a useful tool for doing certain things in life. But no, my passions are definitely around a lot of other things, not economics. So I studied economics in high school, just one course. Okay. And it was my favorite course. Really? I just loved it. I remember loving it. I can't tell you. It's been a while since I was in high school, so I can't tell you why I loved it. All I know was... Um, world issues and economics were my favorite courses. Mm-hmm. So I wanted, so I, I got accepted to York, uh, a few other universities, but I decided to go to York and I, and I tried to see, okay, how can I major in economics? The problem was I was really bad and didn't like math right? at all. I, I tell my son that in grade six, I was trying to figure out how three times two was six. I couldn't understand that I remember that in, in grade six at the beginning of math, right. and he continues to make fun of me to this day. <laughs> um, after I tell him, well, I figured it out. We have a house, we have a car, we have all these things, so you can't make fun of me. But it continues to. But that that was the stumbling block. I couldn't hmm. major in economics because I, I couldn't see myself uh, studying math and, and being able to pass it. Right. Um, right. So the next best thing for me was uh, political science. Okay. Yeah, yeah that's a uh, related, but uh, yeah, different. related, but, but yeah, but yeah. very, but very, very different. Yeah, I don't even think I was all that good at math, but I really was interested in the different systems in different countries and how different societies chose to run their economies in different ways. But okay. obviously, economics is a lot more involved than that. And I would say my my main memories of Western are all of my elective classes, like film and philosophy. Oh, and, really? Uh, you know, religion. That was really what I take away from that mm. experience. So with film, are, are you like a big TIFF person? I'm a big film person. Okay. I've only been to TIFF once. Okay. I, it's funny because our office is a block away, so we're totally in the throngs of everyone right now. But I I haven't been that organized about you know figuring out which ones films I want to see and dealing yeah. with the lineups and the tickets and all of that. So I tend to go more to Hot Docs, which is a festival okay. in the spring yeah, yeah. around documentaries. And uh, I've always gone to that and seen some really amazing films there yeah, yeah. What's, what's your favorite doc or the fav- one of your favorite films you've seen at a festival um, well Bones Brigade would have to be one which is all about uh, a skate- group of people who many people know now Tony Hawk uh, you know Steve Alba a lot of uh, famous skateboarders who in the 80s became one of the first professional skateboarding groups and I went to see that film debut with my husband who is a skateboarder and who really worships uh Stacy Peralta, the filmmaker. And so it was very special because it was an opportunity to meet Stacy, who's a real legend, and just experience that with my husband. So, so were, you, were you a skateboarder as well? No, I've never been a skateboarder. Skateboarding was never on my radar until I met my husband seven years ago. And I have been trying to learn, but it's a lot harder at my age and it's a lot more risky because my bones don't heal quite <laughs> in the same way as a child's. You would need to call the Bones Brigade, like literally. Oh, that's <laughs> so funny. Yes, I would. <laughs> they need to come rescue me. <laughs> so how that, that that's really, really cool. Does does your does your your husband still skateboard? He does. I know he builds. 
He does. Yep. So he designs yeah. and builds skateboard parks with the company he works for. Mm-hmm. And he still skateboards. You know, if you ask him, he'll be like, oh, I'm not that good. But compared to the average person, yeah. he definitely is good. He can still skate in his parks. Okay. So, yeah. If he That's... can carve a bowl, I'd say he's doing all right. That's <laughs> really, really cool. And so, and so when Skater Boy came out or when you guys met, were, were you singing that song to him? I wasn't singing no? that song. I was just trying to absorb it all because, you know, skateboarders get a bad rap. Yeah. And I was like... Is he a punk? Or is he... He's a hippie. He's a hippie. Really? Okay. All right. He's a hippie That's skateboarder. Cool. Yeah. That's cool. Has, have you have you had a chance to meet Tony Hawk through through your husband? Not Tony Hawk. We've met Stacy Peralta and mm-hmm. Rodney Mullen. Okay, who are two legends and both people I've since come to really admire. And so really? when I met Rodney, I actually got the butterflies and really appreciated uh, the impact that they've made on culture and on you know a lot of young folks mm. who learned from them and built upon the skate tricks that they that they created. Really cool. Mm-hmm. So you graduate from Western. I graduate from Western. You got a BA in economics, or I did. is it a BA? Mm-hmm. In I econ- got a BA in, BA in economics. And you go to Boston. Yes, Boston. I went there. I worked for a couple of years in Toronto uh, mm-hmm. at Nestle, kind of to get my feet wet in marketing. Okay. And I really liked it, but I knew I wanted to go further, and I decided to get my MBA. So that's when I moved to Boston, and I went to a university there called Babson. And got my MBA there. and So you knew right away, okay, not economics, not going to get into banking. No, or, I knew or that I, like I was that. always interested more in the marketing side of things. Okay. And again, you know, I was 17 years old. I didn't know what I was doing. And mm. so I, I did this degree. You know, it wasn't really a good fit for me even going to Western, which is not the right school for someone like me. But uh, I did not know that any of those things mattered until I was going through it. Yeah. And then um, luckily, the school I went to for my MBA was an amazing fit. And it was kind of a night and day experience Mm -hmm. from my undergrad and uh, great schools, small classes, professors that really care a lot about their students and really do a lot to help their students succeed. So that was a great experience. How did you know you wanted to do marketing? Was that was that something that you, I don't know, did something at, in grade school or, or, or part time? Like, how did you know? You know, when I think back at it, I think what I liked wasn't even the marketing piece. I think it was more advertising and design. But Mm. I remember talking to a cousin of mine who was doing his MBA and he was talking to me about having to design products and develop packaging for these products. And I remember being really interested in that. And uh, likewise, I was always... The, the girl in school who would get the thick Vogue magazine and like wow. there were certain fashion houses that had amazing ads that I loved and I would always tear them out and like I was obsessed with Marc Jacobs and so again looking back I didn't realize that that wasn't actually even fully just marketing it was a very visual side of marketing but okay. at the time I didn't know any different that was so, that's okay yeah interesting and are you still drawn to like visual Yes. Storytelling? Yes. Yeah. I, I love it. I mean, I'm a very visual person. As okay. you know, I owned an art gallery for a while. And um, yeah, I, I I work at, in my job right now. I mean, visuals are a big part of what we do. Yeah. But I'm a visual person. I'm always looking at, uh, you know, anything from like film to photography to art. I'm a big art lover. So tell me about this art gallery. You you had it for a while. I did. Yeah. Almost, so is, is it almost 10 years you had it? No, I, didn't I did know not you'd... have it that long. Okay. I had it for actually only three years. Okay, okay. But uh, it was about 10 years ago, and it was one of these crazy adventures I went on in life, and which will probably be a common theme in our conversation. 
But it was something, again, that I always really wanted to do. Um, I had sort of fallen into this social circle of artists and really got to appreciate fine art more in my 20s. And just naturally, because I like talking to people, I would talk to people about all of this great art I was seeing, and then people would want to buy it. And so after selling art kind of informally for a while, I thought, oh, maybe I should just open a gallery. Again, I think I just wanted to work in a really creative environment. Mm -hmm. And I thought that would be the way to do it. So um, yeah, when I moved from Boston to Toronto, I was looking for a house. And I happened to find a street level condominium space that was available for sale. And I thought, you know what, I can always buy a house later. But I'm not always going to be in a position where I can open a gallery. And so I somewhat impulsively decided to buy that space and open a gallery and is that we you lived in the gallery as well I'm i didn't guessing? live in it okay. i bought it it was a commercial you know okay. one of these like retail spaces yeah, that yeah, are yeah, on yeah. the street level and i bought that and uh just continued to rent for a while it was a, quite a while longer before i ended up buying a house so tell me what was it called it gallery? was called tinku gallery okay and tinku was my nickname growing up and galleries are usually named after the person who runs them mm -hmm. and so that was just the name I chose. And, and what kind of art did you have or what kind of artists? So the art I had was all, um, it was mostly painting with some photography and I had one ceramic artist and, you know, very contemporary art, mostly kind of, um, you know, artists that worked in sort of more of an abstract um, mm -hmm. sort of um, style. And my artists I found initially just through my own network because they were people that I was friends with. And then through them, I met other artists and just sort of through word of mouth. I think almost all my artists came through word of mouth. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. And you had it for three years? I had it for three years. And you decided to close down? I did. It was yeah. I was still working full time in my marketing job oh, wow. at the same okay. time to basically pay the bills. You yeah. know, the art business is not a very lucrative one. Okay. And I was... You know, working from, you know, 9 a.m. to midnight pretty much every day for three years. So I had to, at some point, realize that, okay, this isn't really going to take off financially and I better So I better the gallery would be open in the evenings and on weekends, exactly. that sort of thing? Yeah, evenings and weekends. And I did have an assistant who would sit the gallery when I couldn't be there. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Well, it seems a lot of people, especially, you know, people who are creative in a way, always have these outlets, Mm -hmm. I find outside of work, even if their work has some creative aspect to it, mm -hmm. I, I always see people doing extra stuff. Yes. You well, know? I think creative people have to create. Yeah. And I, and I see that with, you know, everyone I know who I feel sort of skews more towards that side. Mm -hmm. um, although I think we're all creative. Some of us get it sort of washed out of us a lot sooner than <laughs> others. But... You know, for those of us who are creative, I do think it's just it's like breathing, like you have to create something, whether it's playing music or it's making some kind of art or expressing your expressing your creativity in some other way. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just a very natural. It's like breathing. And are you doing anything now to to fulfill that need or 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 have you grown out of it? <laughs> I've definitely not grown out. OK. Of it. I took a little break for the last two years because I had been working in the arts community. I was on the board of oh, an okay. organization and gave a lot of time to that and then took a little break for two years. But I just have been craving doing something. So to start off with, I've been actually taking, I just started actually this week taking voice lessons. 
Um, so I'm You're getting to into sing. singing. <laughs> I'm not going to sing on this not show. Not now, no, okay. <laughs> Maybe if you have me back in a year. Because <laughs> you just signed up, right? So we need to <laughs> we need to finish we need to finish exactly. your classes. Just make sure I make it through it. But uh, yeah, I decided to do that. Why? Right, tell me, tell me about that. Well, I love music. Okay. And I did play piano when I was younger, and I've always sung. I sang in choirs when I was younger, mm-hmm. and just have always sung in my own life. I sing when okay. I go to work at home. And I've been thinking about playing an instrument, and so I was kind of debating, do I play piano, do I play guitar? And while I was hemming and hawing about that, um, I don't know, I just thought, well, I have an instrument already, it's my voice, why don't I just develop my voice more, because I do love to sing. And I just decided, I found a person to give me lessons and just thought I would try it, and it makes me happy, so I figured start there. And is there a style of singing? No, I just like to sing. I just sing pop songs and okay. rock songs, and, you know, mostly like modern music. I'm not really into jazz or okay. um, blues or classical music for singing. Yeah, and I appreciate it. But for singing, I really just want to be able to sing along to songs I like and nice. just have a strong wow. voice and be on tune. The reason I ask is Cosmere, my son, is in a choir. Okay. And I think this is his fourth year. So he's in the Bach Children's Chorus, which is out of... Deep in the heart of Scarborough. Okay. Been around for 40 years, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Maybe 25. I can't remember. Been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and their style is more, I would call it more uh, more of a classical choir mm-hmm. um, chorus. Okay. Right? So um, so they don't sing. And, and then, you know, on CBC, over the holidays, you'll hear that band, choir, choir, choir. Right. And they sing pop stuff. Right. Um, so they don't do that. They do okay. more of the classical stuff. Okay. Um, so that's why I'm curious what sort of style you're being taught in. Yeah. So when I was younger, I went to a Catholic school and I sang in Catholic choirs for years and years. And I sang for the Pope. I sang for... Really? I did. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Not by myself with yeah. the choir. How was that experience? It was pretty exciting. You know, yeah. I was a teenager so and I wasn't Catholic, so... I thought of him more as just a celebrity, not really as the Pope. (laughs) And I got to meet him. And so it was only later that when I told people that I shook his hand, they were like, oh, wow, you shook the Pope's hand. This is not in your Twitter bio. This is not in LinkedIn. I need to put it in there. These are things that you put. uh, Yes. I know. I shook the the hand of Pope John Paul II. Oh, my goodness. But... um, but it definitely gave me an appreciation for music. And I would say I do really love music. I, I could sing anything. But right now I want to sing for pleasure. And when I think about what that means to me today, it's really singing to, you know, music from the 70s, 80s, 90s and current music. Nice. Yeah. I have to, I have to tell you this story. So we went to um, we went to Hamilton one weekend um, this past year. We, so we did an Airbnb. We wanted to go to a uh, an Aboriginal festival. So there was one, <clears throat> excuse me, happening in Hamilton. So we went for the weekend. And one of the great things I like about in Airbnbs, you get to discover neighborhoods. Yes. Um, that that you'll, you would never see because there's no other reason to go, right? So this neighborhood was really interesting. You stand on the porch and you look to your right and you look to your left. And if there's no boards, you see down the street and if people are on their porches, you actually can see people. Nice. And you can create a neighborhood that way. So it was mm-hmm. really cool. So our, our neighbors at this Airbnb place were a really eclectic couple. He played piano. Mm-hmm. And they they had a massive, full-size grand piano in their dining room. They didn't have a table. They had a grand piano. Nice. 
and they extended the top that you could put drinks and everything on top. And she was a lounge singer. So we got to talking to them. Say, come on in, come on in. And they go ahead and start playing like a 30 minute set just for my wife and I. That's amazing. It was really, really, it was strange and cool and interesting all at the same time. Yeah, you know, that's those are the kinds of experiences why I love to travel. Because yeah. it's not the thing that you'll see when you're visiting, you know, a well-known, you know, landmark. But I love, I've traveled a lot as well. And mm -hmm. I've had so many random encounters with just random people. And um, it's really, to me, the memories that I always kind of hold on to. And yeah. so I think that's so cool that they invited you in and yeah. just like gave you an impromptu concert. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was, it was like amazing. And, and, and she sang like we were astounded, you know, because they're just the people next yeah, door. Yeah, normal people. Yeah. yeah. You never know the talents that we all yeah. have. Yeah, but you're right. You know, you go to, you, you visit different places and you'll meet so many interesting people absolutely um, yeah some of them you'll keep as friends other people are just stories that you tell yeah for sure there's so many people who i've had a memorable kind of conversation with or just an experience like just a few weeks ago i was in minneapolis with um with my colleagues for work and we met some locals and they took us to their local bar and you know we're never going to see them again but we had a, really a good fun time. experience yeah mm -hmm. absolutely so boston happens you go to you do your mba i did my mba there at boston and you, you worked there i'm I guessing i worked there for a few years okay and then i moved to europe for a few years just okay. to get some more anywhere specific or did you kind of go all the way all no, around no i i was in two places i was in london england and then i was in sofia bulgaria in eastern europe so random tell me <laughs> so i've been to london okay. one of my favorite cities okay. is this a place now that you can just go it's almost like new york yes you can go and you, if you want to take the tube or the subway, you can, or you just walk, and you can just yes. walk into different cool places. It's a great walking city. But tell me about Bulgaria. I've never been. Bulgaria, when I went, was kind of like the wild, wild west. Like, it was um, it was a country that was in turmoil because the wall had just fallen. Okay. And so Eastern Europe was collapsing. And so when I arrived, the economy had just collapsed and the government had just been overthrown. So I ended up arriving at a very tumultuous time in the country's history. And did you go there on your own or did the company that you worked for send you? How did that, how was... Yeah, so I was sponsored to go there. Um, so okay. when I graduated from my MBA program, there is a program in the U.S. that's kind of like the Peace Corps, but it's for people who work in business. And so that's you amazing. apply... And there were 40 of us chosen from around the country, and we were assigned to different jobs in wow. different countries. And so in Bulgaria, there were actually 15 of us, so we were a good-sized group. Okay. And they put us through intensive <clears throat> language training for three months, so we could get more fluent in what Bulgarian. Language? Bulgarian. Bulgarian, okay. Yes. And then they, you know, we got to work. And so at the time, it was a very poor country, mm. and it was very interesting to see kind of the effect of communism on culture and on business practices and mm. you know i originally am from india i've been to places that have poverty but it was a very different kind of poverty it was um uh i don't know it was like the the life had been sucked out of the country in some ways oh. and and the you know there was no money in the city to like put water in the fountains and you know there were dogs roaming the streets because people weren't getting rabies shots or they weren't able to keep their dogs and so it was actually quite dangerous the stray dogs in bulgaria were really dangerous at the time but it was also extremely 
interesting personally for me because it pushed me really out far outside of my comfort zone going mm. to a place where i didn't know the language and uh basically had to you know learn from scratch and that was really exciting wow and where'd you go after like because you've traveled all over the world so i'm really I curious have. about yeah. these places yeah so london and bulgaria yeah those were the two places where i lived i mean i traveled a lot in okay. my time there so it's very easy uh, in europe isn't it because there's so, so many different countries yeah so i've pretty much you know i can't even count at this point but yeah i've been all over europe and been to parts of asia and south america and yeah, stayed in Europe for three years and then came back to uh, came back to uh, live in the North America. Your favorite place in Europe? Favorite place in Europe? That's a hard one. Okay, so this let me <laughs> let, let me let me qualify. So if you had to live in Europe, yes, and you had and you could choose anywhere to live and call home, where where would home be for you in Europe? Well, that one's easy because my sister lives in Switzerland with my nephews. So okay. I would say Switzerland. And it was never a country I would have chosen before because mm -hmm. it is kind of sterile. But okay. I think <laughs> just sort of where I am in life, I guess, I'm um, just the reality of living in Switzerland is really wonderful. Um, you, the quality of life is amazing. Mm -hmm. And you don't have a lot of the frustrating bureaucracy of countries that I really love, like Italy, which I love vacationing in, but I don't think I would like to live there. So I would live in Switzerland, and it's so central. You can go anywhere from there. And so your your favorite place to visit then in Europe would be Italy? Hmm. Italy, and I also really love Scotland. Tell me about Scotland. Is it the history and the... For me, it's the landscape yeah. okay. in Scotland. And I guess maybe there's some things that remind me of that, uh, of, of Newfoundland or yeah. Canada. And then also, um, it also just reminds me of my mother who, who died a long time ago. And I have been told stories of um, her really having a wonderful experience traveling in Scotland with my father. And so that always just makes me happy. So I think when I went there, I felt like I was uh, tracing some of her footsteps, which was really nice. That's amazing. Yeah. Asia. Tell me about Asia. What, what are some really cool places? Well, India, for sure, is an amazing place to visit. I was just there again in January with mm -hmm. my husband, who went for the first time, and my best friend and her husband, who went for their first okay. time. And it's really a continent, as you know. It's like a, it's it's, a, it's like multiple countries in one. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you barely scratch the surface. And is it very different? Like, if you go from north, south, east, yes, west, like different it's provinces? it's so different. The language mm. is different. The food is different. The the landscape and I'm really appreciating sort of the the breadth of culture and diversity that exists in the country in, in the country so I would say that's that will always have a soft spot in my heart yeah. um, but I also I would say maybe the friendliest people I've ever met were in Vietnam okay friendliest people in my life really just yeah in in North Vietnam in particular okay. yeah yeah which surprised me again I don't speak Vietnamese I didn't know anybody there but I went by myself backpacking and I just you know you'd be in a village and people would be sitting on the stairs of their home and kind of looking at you but they'd smile and come up and they'd try to talk to me even if we couldn't really <laughs> communicate and I just remember the people there being really great that's so amazing yeah so you come back to you said North America so I'm assuming mm -hmm. it was in Toronto because Toronto's I, I not home of... Toronto's you, you 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 never sort of settled yet so no, where did you I mean, go? I was in Boston again. You went back to Boston? I went back to Boston, stayed there for many years. And then finally, I do think this is my 
my last stop for this is my working life, maybe. Yeah, you know, my husband is pretty rooted in Ontario. And so I've just accepted that <laughs> this is where we're going to be. And otherwise, I probably would have left by now. But uh, I love Toronto. I love, I think it's a, a great city to live in and work in. And so I'm very happy to be here. And so was Tinku what, what you founded when you came to Toronto? It was. It was. Yes. Okay, so that was yeah. sort of your first yeah. your first gig? It was, uh, yeah, something that I did. Again, I was working, my first gig was still, you know, I've always worked in marketing in the okay. tech industry. Mm-hmm. But this was just something for me to do. You know, everyone's encouraged to have side projects. I started a side business, so <laughs> <laughs> I took it a little far. <laughs> Who did you start working for when you came when you came to Toronto? I first worked for a company called Messageware, which is a very small company, privately held in Mississauga, and um, they work in the enterprise email security space. Hmm. And so, again, and when was this? This was, I guess, I moved back here ten years ago. Okay. So yeah, ten years ago. So this is like cutting edge. At the yeah, time, right? At the time, it's not know, so it long ago, but it is long ago. It is. It was long ago, and they managed to, you know, again, they were a bit of an under-the-radar company. Okay. And, and they're uh, still around. They're still around. Yep. Mm. They're still, you know, I think they're still growing, kind of at a steady pace. I think it's a bit of a lifestyle business for the, for the okay. owner, which yeah, is yeah. fine and good. But when I was there, I definitely was ready to move faster, and so mm-hmm. eventually, after three years, I, I left and. I've been at a few places. I've made a few stops before I ended up here at Crowdriff. Yeah. So you and I met for the first time when you were at Sequentia mm-hmm. and Veronix. Mm-hmm. Um, they've since sold or were bought. I believe right? so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've kind of lost track, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, tell me about that experience. Uh, at being at Sequentia? Yeah, yeah. What were you guys doing there? Well, it was my first time working at an agency, okay. which was very different. That's and right. they were yeah. definitely one of the more cutting edge digital marketing firms at the time. So for me, that was really interesting. And, you know, the owner is a very smart woman, Jen Evans. Mm-hmm. And so it was a great opportunity to learn from her. I definitely learned the challenges of being on the agency side, which you know as well, yeah. is that it's um, it's a hard business. It's a really hard business because you tend to have sort of a small number of clients and, you know, depending on what's going on with them, it can make a great quarter or a bad quarter. And you're, you're you know, you're not like a startup or a, te- or a company that has like thousands of customers or hundreds of customers yeah. where you can sort of deal with, you know, some people coming and going. And so it was definitely a chance for me to kind of see the other side because I'd usually hired agencies and not worked at an yeah. agency. And it's given me a lot of appreciation for how hard it is to run a business like there that. There was that cool tool you guys had built out. Squeeze. I want, yeah, I was going to say squeeze me, but mm. it was squeeze, right? Squeeze, yeah, <laughs> which was, you know, again, ahead of its time. It was a, a way for people to track the results of their content marketing efforts online. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of a, one of the first digital marketing analytics products out there. And again, that's a hard thing to do when you're an agency and you're also trying to incubate a business. So... You know, kudos to Jen for managing to make that work yeah. and for managing to sell that product off to Digital Journal. I didn't know you worked at Audiobooks. I did. Yeah. I had a great time at Audiobooks. I think I yeah. applied there a long time ago. To oh, work. did you? Mississauga? Oh, or somewhere uh, Burlington. In the Burlington. Burlington. Okay, yeah, yeah. How yes. was working there? I loved working yeah. there. I did, yeah. And it was... Um, 
it was kind of funny timing. I, I regret not staying longer, but uh, it was originally a mat leave replacement contract. And I knew the owner, uh, Sanjay, who is a brilliant entrepreneur. And it was a fantastic role because there are very few companies or at the time it felt like there are very few companies that had really big like consumer products mm -hmm. in Canada mm -hmm. and my job as the VP of marketing was partly brand related and then partly demand related so it was a really okay. nice blend of the creative side of marketing and then kind of the data driven you know um, number crunching demand gen side of marketing and it was a, an amazing experience again like great culture um, good product, lots of opportunity for me to also just learn from a great CEO. Yeah. And he did a really good job of managing his leadership team. And I learned a lot from Sanjay and he's someone I still uh, consider to be a mentor. And he's went on to work at 500 Startups Canada oh. um, and ran that until recently. Yeah. And so he's just a really smart, great guy. And uh, nice. yeah. yeah, it was nice. a great experience. I didn't realize how huge they were. Yes. Yeah, but they're they're like Audible's one and then it's them. Exactly. We were the number books. two. And so that was also interesting. Like I never thought I'd have to be competing against Amazon. I mean, that's Amazon hard. owns I didn't know well, that. Well, Amazon owns Audible. Okay, I didn't know that. So, it was really challenging yeah. because we definitely didn't have we had budget, but we didn't have anywhere near sure. Amazon's budget. Yeah. Um, but we did a lot of creative things and I give the team that was there a lot of credit. Um, mm -hmm. you know, I felt like my job was easy because I had a lot of smart people on my team. But they were able to really like they were amazing, um, amazing at the generation at just at digital marketing. And so we we managed to uh, benefit from the market that Audible helped develop. Yeah. And I think the best investment that the company made was in their in their domain name. Because everyone it's knows what an audiobook, audiobook is. And everyone's searching for audiobooks. Yeah. So that investment paid off in spades. That's amazing. Um so I interviewed a client of yours, uh, Ryan Dodge. Yes. Uh, from the Royal Ontario Museum. Yes. Um, and I remember when I was, quote unquote, researching, when my team was researching, <laughs> um, I landed on a couple of blog posts that were on Crowdriff. Okay, nice. Um, and I had no class at Crowdriff. Is this like medium? I didn't know. Right. I didn't know. Um, and, and then you reached out to me, mm -hmm. uh, saying that you worked at Crowdriff and I go, wait a second, that's where Ryan had his blogs, yes. uh, were, were on there. Um, so tell what, like, what is, what is this company Crowdriff? Sure. So first of all, I love Ryan at the ROM. He's, he's a great guy. So I love his sideburns. Yes. <laughs> I love his sense of humor and I love his honesty. He's just amazing. He is. He's just a nice guy he is like, isn't he's he? just a good guy yeah and, and, you know you just meet some people and you're like you're just a nice person mm. i feel like that about ryan and he's super smart yes so crowdriff is a product it's a company that makes a product that's all about making your marketing more visual mm -hmm. and so we started off being specifically around user generated content or ugc which is all the visuals that we all share on social media yes. so ryan at the rom he can use crowdriff to see what kinds of photos and videos are people sharing of their experiences at the rom and then you can use Crowdriff to get rights to those photos, to embed those photos in really cool interactive ways onto your website, or to even build entirely new digital experiences out of those visuals. And so the net result is you can 
create all of this great marketing and put your customer or your visitor right up front, right? So instead of you saying the ROM is great, a picture of a boy like smiling with his Viking helmet on, that's gonna tell you a lot more about mm -hmm. the ROM than just what you could say in some words as the brand. So we started off as being really focused on user-generated visuals. Okay. And over the last year, we've developed also the capabilities for any marketer to basically store all of their photos and videos in CrowdRiff. So imagine, again, Ryan at the ROM, in addition to all this social content, he's going out and taking photos, he's commissioning photos. Typically, that stuff lives on people's hard drives mm. or servers. Some is in you know, the designer's inbox or in their you know laptop and some is somewhere else instead this is now like a central platform where you can store all these visuals so that as a marketer which i am anytime i want to find a visual for any kind of creative that i'm doing mm -hmm. it's really easy to find in crowdriff interesting yeah now how did you start there like what was that that journey to to join crowdriff so i was deciding sort of like what was next for me in yeah. my career and there were a bunch of startups that were looking for heads of marketing. And I had kind of barely remembered actually seeing an announcement about CrowdRiff raising some money. But um, a friend of mine, Hannah Abaza, who I don't know if you know, but she's a really smart marketer in the city. I met her for coffee and she's like, have you ever thought about working at CrowdRiff? And I said, you know what, I hadn't. And so I checked them out a little bit and I thought, oh, their product sounds really cool because I'm all about visuals. I'm a marketer. I'm really into social media. So it's kind of a perfect and, and we sell mostly to tourism bureaus. So mm -hmm. travel, how can you not like that? So I knew one of their investors and I just reached out to the investor and I said, hey, I would really love to get an introduction to Dan, their CEO. And he made an introduction and I've been there since early last year. And are they an old, like how old are these guys? They're not very old. So okay. I would say our current incarnation, like like a lot of startups, there is a, kind of an earlier incarnation of their product. But I would say the the current company, you know, as is, has been around for about three years. Okay. Yeah. So That's young really still. Cool. Yeah. And it's very interesting that it's, you, you sort of have this um, very sharp focus on the target audience. It in is. In terms of your, your, your customers. I know. And your clients. Yeah, it's it's um, it's surprising in some ways to some people, but it's actually made it really, uh, it's been very helpful for us to just really double down and become known in the travel and tourism community mm -hmm. and become really, really good at serving the customers in that community. And from there, you know, we can certainly branch off into others down the road as, um, as the opportunities come. But... What's been nice is over the last year in particular, I really feel like we've gone from being a product that, you know, some people know in travel and tourism to a product that pretty much anyone working at a tourism bureau, most of them do now, know who we are. And that's um, thanks to customers like Ryan who are happy and help spread the word. And then thanks to a lot of um, great efforts on our team's part. Yeah, because I remember um, crowdsourcing. Mm-hmm. Uh, being a really, you know, big, um, popular thing that, um, you know, that people were, were, were doing, mm -hmm. you know, and media, mm -hmm. media companies, publishers, online publishers seem to be the, um, the, the type of client or, or customer or, or people that would use these. Um, I can't remember the guy's name. It's, it's so, so bad, but 
He's, he now has started uh, this company called Interesting Shit. I don't know if you've seen their videos on Facebook. Really, oh, really, that down. really, really cool. Um, oh, I feel so bad. His company is called Interesting Shit. Yeah. Wow. And, and so now, now they, now they, now they create these sort of viral type of okay. videos where, like, it may be thirty seconds long, maybe two minutes long. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm sure they had one a, a couple of days ago about 9/11. Okay. Uh, and stuff like so. Really, and and now they they get regularly get millions of views slash hits um, on 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 all of their videos. But he had this company. This is so sad. He was a he was a guest on the show <laughs> not too long ago. Steve Hulford. There okay. we go. So Steve Hulford had this company. I think it was called File Mobile. Okay. Um, and so they were doing this sort of crowd uh, crowdsourcing stuff for news organizations, mm -hmm. for uh, for digital publishers, um, and you guys have sort of doing very something very similar, I think. But now we're focused on here's who our clients are. And how can we best serve them? So it's not only how can we, how can you know the ROM get access to user-generated content, uh, but how can they continue to use this pool for their content as well? Tell me more about Crowdrift. Like you know, you guys are working with a lot of different companies. Mm -hmm. I'm really curious about uh, interesting companies you think, or maybe even case studies mm -hmm. um, that have come up. Maybe people have emailed you, really excited about things that they've accomplished. With the tool, are, are there any examples that you can give me? Sure, yeah. I love talking about our customers. <laughs> um, so one example, so we work with about over 200 organizations now, and they are all in the travel and tourism business. So people like Tourism Toronto or Destination yeah. BC. So one of the cool uh, things that we've learned is, for example, um, the city of Pittsburgh, which... I don't know if you knew of this of Pittsburgh, but it, you know, has this reputation of being an industrial city. That's kind of, you know, what it was known for. It was called the Steel City. Yes. And they've really been trying to change people's impressions of what Pittsburgh is because they want to attract more people to live there and to visit there. And so they have used Crowdrift to actually find and source incredible visuals to really visually tell the story of okay. Pittsburgh. So I don't know if you know, but Pittsburgh is a really big arts hub. Did you know that? No, I, I did not right? know that. You may not know that, <laughs> but actually the Andy Warhol Museum is there. Oh. Um, there's amazing art there. And, you know, it's one thing for me to tell you, but imagine if I just showed you kind of a wall of photos of amazing art happenings around the city, it would be a lot more believable. And so what they've done is they've been able to take you know their reputation and really mold what people think of their city as a result of using visuals and obviously doing a lot of other good things it's yeah, not yeah. all crowd riff so that's one example of what people are doing with us and then another more basic one is um the town the city of omaha nebraska which again okay. may not be on most people's radar sure. so omaha nebraska built a bridge a few years ago and they spent about $22 million building this bridge. And it went from Nebraska to Iowa on the other side. And people felt that it was, they called it the bridge to nowhere. Because when you get on the bridge and you get off the bridge, you leave Omaha and you end up in kind of the middle of the middle of nowhere middle in of Iowa. Nowhere. Okay. And so, you know, it wasn't really that well received. And I think the Tourism Bureau there did something really creative they decided to 
try to make the bridge a destination for people to actually visit, like come and actually visit this bridge. So what did they do? They actually gave the bridge a name. His name is Bob. Okay. Uh, the bridge's name is actually Bob Carey Bridge, but they gave the bridge the name Bob, Bob yeah. the Bridge, and they gave him an Instagram account and a Twitter account, and they've essentially personified this bridge. Oh. And so what they've done is they've actually taken this bridge and they they tweet from it, they share Instagram posts from it, and they've really encouraged people now to um, share their experiences on this bridge. And again, it's like, it's just a bridge. Yeah. But it has turned into a destination now in mm -hmm. Omaha. You know, people, sort of famous people that visit the city go to this bridge. The bridge. And they've completely turned this bridge from being sort of, a, you know, a white elephant to being a destination, a destination. that people actually want to visit. So that's kind of the other extreme of something very... Um, sort of peculiar in a way, you know, who knew that like Instagram and photography and visuals could sort of, you know, basically transform an area yeah. in a city like that. And then I would say the last case study, which I'll share is uh, closer to home. It's in Blue Mountain. So Blue Mountain Resort uses Crowdrift. Okay. And what they do is they, they take all of these great visuals that people are sharing yeah. of their experiences at Blue Mountain and they put it up on screens in about 200 different places all over Blue Mountain Village. And as a result, it's just made people want to share more because they see their pictures up on the screen or they see ah. other people's pictures up on the screen. Right. And as a result, Blue Mountain basically has said that whatever they want to do in marketing because of Crowdrift now, they can find visuals to do whatever they want. So wow. it's just kind of opened up the universe of creative possibilities for them. And it's just helped their marketing team be a lot more. I'm curious uh, about this yeah. this process of getting access to um, user generated content. Sure. How do, how does Crowdrift like uh, accommodate that? Sure. So the first thing we do is we just help you find the photos okay. and visuals because most people don't know, but on any given day, so let's say you're doing something in Toronto, mm -hmm. there are times where you're sharing photos and you may not think to tag see Toronto now, which is the official hashtag of the city. So, I didn't know that. Right? So <laughs> you do now. So now you can tag your photos. But we know that we find probably 90% of the photos that are out there that are never seen by the Tourism Bureau. So okay. the first thing we do is we just, we find stuff that you don't see. Okay. And then we bring it into our platform and kind of like how you search in Google, you can search for images just okay. by typing in certain phrases and keywords. So it's really fast. So let's say you have a million photos that are taken in Toronto in the last three years. Mm -hmm. uh, you can find the ones of people eating brunch in a particular neighborhood. Okay. And you can find them in seconds. Wow. Whereas if you tried to do that manually, it would be And you guys you are like organizing and filing all of this it's our it's our technology that does all this for you yeah so it's our search functionality okay so first we find the photos it's not like 50 people in, no we don't in, have in a, okay. a no mechanical <laughs> turk no so we've got um you know first we find the photos yeah then we help you discover like the ones that you need for nice. your marketing purposes and then we have um with crowdrift you can embed them anywhere so we have an embed code you can put mm -hmm. these on your website um, and then we have a process for getting rights to the photos, too. Okay. So some people may not know, but if you want to use a photo that I took on Instagram and you want to use it in a Facebook ad, you have to ask my permission. Yeah. Or if you want to use it in your visitor guide, you have to ask my permission. So we basically automate that process. We make it basically a couple of clicks instead of a lot of back and forth over email or things like that. Oh, wow. Yeah. 
And then, uh, and then we, the other thing which we do, which is kind of like magic, is let's say you've got this hard drive with all your photos in it. Yeah. And you upload all those photos to Crowdriff. You no longer have to worry about the names of the files or anything. We automatically, we use Google Vision, which is an AI technology. We scan everything that's in the photos and videos mm -hmm. and tag them. So now if you want to search for your B-roll to see like what footage do I have of, you know, sheep on a rural road in, uh, you know, near Tobermory, we find that for you again in seconds versus, again, the old yes. way of doing it is I have to name everything and put it in folders and remember what folder I put it oh, in. Oh, wow. Yeah. So we save you a ton of time. That is amazing. Yeah. That's really, really cool. Um, I, I want to ask you about um, your, your, I guess, the, this role that you've taken upon yourself in terms of mentoring, mm -hmm. um, you know, women in business, women in technology, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, how did you get into that? What are you doing and, and, and why? I kind of got into it through my university. So okay. my, through my MBA program, they actually had a formal like women in business organization, mm -hmm. which was a good way to connect with other other executives. And through there, after I graduated as an alumni, they asked me to mentor some of the new students. And I started there and I really did it because I always wanted mentors myself and I ended up just having to find my own and actually none of my mentors were women. My mentors were all men. Mm -hmm. And the reality is like being a woman in technology is a different experience than being a man in technology. And I really just wanted to, I guess, pay it forward. Like anything that I've learned the hard way, if I can help somebody not have to learn it the hard way, I just feel like it's a good thing to do. And so I don't, I wouldn't say I'm doing it in a big way right now. I do it more just with the people on my team. So I think hmm. about, you know, how can I be a supportive manager for them? How can yeah. I foster them to have great careers? How can I be a good role model? Like, how can I be somebody that they actually trust and want to talk to and feel like I have their career interests at heart? and just teach them things that I wish people had told me, like the number one thing, which I learned the hard way, way too late in life, is that it's not enough to just do good work. Hmm. You know, I think I was always assumed if I do good work and I'm a smart person, I'll get recognized, I'll get promoted, I'll get compensated. And the reality is that it doesn't happen that way for most people. Okay. And it especially doesn't happen for women. You know, we all know that women tend to get paid less than men. And part of it is because the negotiation process around salaries is usually basically, you know, you put out a number and somebody else, you know, you, you ask the person what they want to make or what they are making today. And traditionally, women have not been as good at negotiating. Um, and part of it is because of the way they're perceived. So just small things from making sure my team members are getting paid fairly to just helping them develop better communication skills so that their work gets recognized. Because it's an uncomfortable thing sometimes for someone to say, hey, I wanna show you this thing I did and take credit for it because I've many times in my career done work and either had projects taken away or have someone else take credit for it and mm -hmm. learn the hard way that you have to speak up and make sure people know what you're doing and they're not going to just know by magic. Yeah. So it's more for that. I just I just care about the people I work with and, and hope that um, I can just be a good person in the workplace and be somebody that hopefully gives them some positive skills that they can take on no matter where they go after. Hmm. That's really cool. 
there's um a, a lot of focus on politics these days, whether it's the stuff that goes down south of the border, um, or you know upcoming elections here and here in Ontario where we are. There's an upcoming provincial election, I think, in a year, mm-hmm. um, and there's also a municipal one. Um, as a marketer, do you look at these these you know things that happen in politics and elections? Um, with with a marketer's view, uh, and say, oh, this person should do this differently, or, or I'm really curious on on your thoughts. Oh, if I think politicians should do yeah, things differently, yeah, or parties, or or messaging. It was really interesting, you know this this video that quote unquote went viral with Jagmeet Singh, right, on uh, on, on this heckler and how he dealt with that, right. Um, you know, and it's all about perception. It's all about you know what people see, right. Um, and so that visual of him diffusing the situation without yelling but being you know positive and such right uh you know a lot of people say he's going to go a long way um you know and and so this is all you know to me this is all marketing it is right yeah i do i wouldn't say i pay a lot of attention to it especially these days i just feel like i have to tune a lot of it out to be honest but I do observe how politicians use visuals okay. to portray themselves in certain ways and how some do a great job of it, like mm-hmm. Obama and Trudeau. Whether you like them or not, they were masters at visual storytelling. Yeah. And I look at other people and see that they don't take advantage of that. And part of politics is the message and part of the message is the visuals because it's what you see is what you believe. So I, I would say I pay attention more on the periphery, mm. but I generally, um, you know, I pay attention to the issues, but I haven't, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about politicians. Interesting. <laughs> One of the, cause I, I don't know why I started thinking about it, but I remember, you know, the way a politician looked all of a sudden became important. The, at the first that I remember was when Jean Chrétien uh, ran for, uh, for prime minister and the visual of that was him with a blue collared shirt right. and no tie. Right. And since then, politicians have ditched the tie right. until Trump. Right. Has always worn, not all the time, but you know he, he would always wear a tie everywhere. Right. Um, and so I'm curious whether the tie is going to come back yeah, for I mean, male politicians. We know that, you know, politics certainly influences fashion. And actually, what I do pay attention to more okay. is, like, I'm really into first lady fashion. So okay. I think Michelle Obama was an amazing mm. uh, example of using her wardrobe as a kind of diplomatic tool. Okay. And I loved watching what she wore to different events and occasions. Mm-hmm. And I think she really brought fashion back into the um, sort of limelight for a lot of people who might have kind of not paid as much attention because the last few first ladies weren't exactly fashion plates. Mm -hmm. So I loved her fashion and I loved watching her for that reason. And I'm interested to see what Sophie Trudeau wears and what like Kate Middleton wears. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I mean, but that's more just because I love fashion. Yeah. Getting back to travel, is is there a place you haven't been that you want to go to? I would love to go to Japan. Okay. Haven't been there. And I would love to go to Africa, actually. I've never been to Africa. Really? Which is crazy. I don't know why I haven't. But, yeah, it seems odd. I've been everywhere else, including Antarctica, but I have not been to Africa. You've been to Antarctica? I've been to Antarctica. What, like, how did you, was, was it a stopover somewhere? Like, how did you? No, it was a trip to Antarctica. To Antarctica? To Antarctica for two weeks. Really? 
Yeah, it was a long time ago. I had a family member who. But there's was not going. like, is it really? There's there really isn't anything there, is there? It's beautiful. It's mountainous, and there's amazing wildlife, and it's. it's people just live there. The only people that live there are scientists. Scientists. So you have to live on the ship. So we were on a Russian research vessel. And, this is uh, so cool. Yeah, it was super cool. It was a long time ago, and. Uh, and sorry, yeah. I interrupted you. You no, said your okay. friend. No, I had you, a family member who family was going, member? and um, okay. and at the last minute, their companion couldn't make it, so okay. um, I was able to take that person's place, oh my which God. was awesome. And uh, that's why there are some advantages of you know backpacking and and kind of taking the long road to your career because you have these opportunities in the middle to just you know do things that other people can't because you know I was in a I was basically backpacking at that time, so okay. leaving my job was not a big deal. And so, yeah, I went there and uh, it was incredible. And actually, I befriended someone who to this day is a good friend of mine. And we always laugh when people ask us, where did you meet? And we say we met in Antarctica, <laughs> which, wow, you know, I, I never have an opportunity to say that to anyone else. That is amazing. I, I don't know where to go from there. And how about you? Where would you like to oh, go? My, like everywhere else in the world. Like I've, I've, I haven't, I, so I see, you know. Um, and, and you might feel the same way. Um, although I haven't traveled widely, I've had the opportunity and, and the benefit uh, of, of traveling. I've, uh, you know, I've, I've never made tons of money in my life, mm -hmm. but I've made enough that we could scrape by to go right. somewhere. You know, right. so I've been to North Africa for a few days. Right. Um, we, we, we went to Spain a couple of years ago for nice. a family wedding. And so uh, my wife says we must go. Uh, to Morocco. So we oh, went to Morocco nice. for a few days and back. Uh, in 2010, we went to East... I had never been to East Africa. That's where the family's from. Um, so that was my first time yeah. going back and for my wife, her first time since she left. Right. Uh, so we've had the opportunity to do that. That's amazing. Um, so you've picked some pretty faraway places. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've, I've had the chance to go to Taiwan. I've had the chance to go to Colombia. You just said you didn't travel much. You but, sound but like you've been to a fortunate bunch of enough to because of work stuff being able to to go there. Mm -hmm. um, but there's so many places I haven't been. You know, yeah, like my son so wants places yeah. to go. Where does your son want to go? He wants to go to Argentina. Nice. So you know, Argentina's on there. My wife wants to go to Australia. Right. Um, I just want to go. Yeah. You know, wherever. Exactly. You know what I. I've always loved traveling ever since I was a little kid. Yeah. And I don't even, even within Toronto, like I love exploring. Mm -hmm. And so I'll go anywhere. Like I, I can't, well, I mean, if it's a war, war zone, I won't go there. But I love the, um, just like the, the interesting things that are right under our noses. And yeah. like, you know, there's a lot of places driving distance that are worth visiting. Yeah. And uh, even just last year, two years ago, I went to Buffalo and I was, so blown away. I don't know if you know, but Buffalo is one of the cities where Frank Lloyd Wright, the famous architect, he built a lot of buildings in Buffalo. And there's one in particular called Darwin House that is absolutely stunning. It's hmm. like an amazing, you know, standing kind of uh, model of his architecture. And I'm like, this is just in Buffalo. It's only an hour and a half away. Why did it take me this long to visit? You wow. know, so... Lots of places to see. That's amazing. Amita, thank you so much. Thank you. You've been so easy to talk to.